Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Science Faction. The only show where a scientist, a comedian, and a comedian scientist come together to discuss science. Comedically. Hello, and welcome to Science Faction 633. Science Faction, Old Brits and How to Reason. Well, first off, uh, the, 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 the simple way that a Brit would reason would they be they would find a science that would elevate them above many of the uh, the people that they had colonialized at the time. I remember phrenology was my favorite. I would simply look at the skull of a person whose grave I had dug up and say, hey, I'm better than this guy. Yeah, I, I, I like that, too. Uh, I liked being a leech doctor, though. That was my favorite. It's like people would come in and they're like, I got a cold. And I'm like, leeches. And they're like, I'm, I'm, I'm due to give birth in two weeks. Leeches. How else are the humors supposed to be removed, Bobby? I'm super horny. Leeches on the dick. Like, no matter what, <laughs> I have a leech answer for you. Yeah, and like, well, you put the leeches, like, if you want the horniness to go away, you're going to put the leech in one spot. But if you want yes. the horniness to be amplified, you're going to put the <laughs> leech in another spot. Yes, I completely yes. agree. That's just science. Yes. One of those takes away all sexual desire, and the other one is what we uh, colloquially refer to as a leech job. <laughs> and speaking of the leech job of this episode, I, of course, am your host, comedian archaeologist Robert Timothy. With me, as always, is the guy who can't get a leech job to save his life, none other than our comedian, Mr. Damien Mercado. Damien, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing great. Um, I, I actually, uh, my second marriage ended when my wife caught on the receipt that I went to Mexico and received an LJ, or a leech job. Mm -hmm. And she was like, what happened? And I was like, well, and, and, and you know, she... She wasn't as cool with the uh, with the high priced, uh, sexy leech job. Babe, you know it doesn't count when I cheat with invertebrates. <laughs> yeah, the doctor who put the uh, leeches on my junk had a huge breast. But what does that have to do with anything? Oh, <laughs> uh, dear. And if you want to have both huge breasts and leeches on your genitals, go ahead and check out our Patreon. You can search Robert Timothy on Patreon to find the most leech-filled genitals you will see on any podcast. Well, I mean, I'm not a Patreon of the Joe Rogan podcast, but I'd like to think that if there was one podcast that would out-penis leech us, it no. would be that Patreon. I checked. But I checked. They're at, they're at a 0.74 penis leech ratio. It's not even close to our 0.89. Of course you're a Patreon member for Joe Rogan. God damn it. Everybody, well, uh, you're feeling disrespectful towards Bobby and the way he, uh, and the people he chooses to support with his money. Uh, I actually have to catch up on something. Uh, I told people on this podcast over a year ago, but a uh, few times in between then, that anybody who writes us and leaves us a five-star review on iTunes, I would give them a shout out on this podcast. Oh, yeah, you did it. Yeah, so, uh, so here we go. First off, uh, every, well, it's not Damien per se. It's Damien. It's, uh, uh, Damien. Uh, I'm actually uh, 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 Alex Jones here. I'm, I'm, I'm having some very financially hard times, if we're being honest. I'll, I'll do anything. I'll sweep your floor for 10 cents. I, I just need some money. So, I'll, yeah, I'll read some Patreon shoutouts. Uh, this is from uh, uh, MWG32. Uh, they said, uh, dorks, but I respect them. And I don't know if she was, I don't know if they were uh, referring to, uh, uh, the host, Damien and Bobby, or perhaps some sort of new uh, uh, penis leeching procedure that uh, you respect for dorks. I don't know. First of all, just just so we're clear, she must have been talking about you, but like in the plural, like the, the queen's you, 
like dorks. Oh, like, like this Damien character is not just one penis, he is two penises. Yeah, exactly. Because I don't, I don't think anybody's calling me a dork. I mean, not after they heard that I started in the physics chair in Academic League as a junior. I don't think anybody's going to be pulling the dork card on that, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's not as if like the, uh, the co-host of the science podcast called you a fucking dork. Every and then and then, and you had to do this thing where you take academic league and you make sure nobody can mock you for it by 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 building it up as some some virtue of manliness of masculinity of toughness. I didn't have to do that. Society did that for me. I was I didn't choose the world I was born into, and I didn't choose the world world I decided to league into. It's just what was given to me. <laughs> All right, oh, no, that's good. I agree. Way, way to go, Damien. Way to make fun of Bobby for being a fucking dork. I, I say this is a guy who owes about a trillion dollars <laughs> in debt, but uh, I'd rather uh, do that than be at in academic league. But then again, I'm a very damaged man, so I wouldn't use my thing for anything. But here you go. You couldn't make JV academic league in the third chair, sir. I hope you know that I grew up in a Texas education system that is well within my reach to make academic league. I played, uh, I did wrestling, so I, I was just going to be a walk-on on the academic league team in Texas. But here, here's another one. Uh, th- uh, this is from Liz C. Zukas, and it says, My new binge podcast has heard you guys on the cult podcast and followed you here. Well, I know for a fact you only heard the shittier half of Science Faction on the cult podcast and not the whole thing, but that's fine. I've been binging for a few days now, and I love it. You make me feel wonderfully optimistic about the future, and uh, make me snort laugh. Uh, as a, so, good combo. Now, uh, I, 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 I'm happy that Damien and Bobby could make a snort laugh, but I think they were going for a shark laugh. You know, something where you feast yourself. <laughs> I was, I, I was, when I originally founded this podcast, looking for shart laughs. Uh, in fact, it, that was the original title of this pod, podcast, was shart laughs. <laughs> yeah, we got a lot of shark fanatics who uh, couldn't read, who just went with their first <laughs> instinct, right. and they left very disappointed. This is fantastic, Damien. I don't think we have time for all of them. I think we should start doing this on the reg at the beginning of every show. But for now, let's move right on to science. Articles. From molecules to particles, this is Science Articles. It's actually a really good time for you to cut this off, Bobby, because uh, uh, as you know, we've been doing this for many years. And although our listenership is numbers in the thousands, which is a great metric that we can uh, use to measure our jimmies against other podcast jimmies, uh, one one area that we are... uh, in the uh, rather minute club is our iTunes podcast comments. And That's it seems true. stupid, but this is actually a factor that uh, this is something that, that actually means a lot to the podcasting community and it helps you uh, pr- seems incredibly and advertise. Stupid. Yeah, I mean, you would think that it's like some stupid system created for free by Apple that they haven't yeah. fucking updated the metrics for because there's no profit for them. But anyhow, if you really want to support this show, yes, there's our Patreon, but if you're looking for something a little cheaper to do, just go on iTunes. I know it's crazy, but it has to be iTunes. Create a burner iTunes account if you have to, and uh, give us a five-star review. Uh, that'll help us a long way in helping uh, the, us beat the stupid out of uh, the other parts of this country. You know what I'm talking about? We're going to turn California red if you can give if we get enough five-star comments. Woo! All right, article number one. Genetic origins of Ice Age UK revealed. The genetic, or like, uh, turns out all British people share uh, a common lineage with a tea leaf. <laughs> <laughs> 
or the color beige. <laughs> the polite jean actually started in England, which is crazy because that island has experienced so much violence. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's one of the reasons it's so, it's so chill right now. So anyway, a <laughs> uh, very, very interesting article came out about the genetic origins of ancient Ice Age UK. I think this stuff is super interesting. I think the population of the world by humans is incredibly interesting story. All the genetic data that shows us how that happened is incredibly interesting. But these outlier places like the UK that, you know, even at low sea levels wasn't completely walkable. Maybe there was an ice bridge or something, but wasn't completely walkable via land. That leads to weird little things that happen where populations get isolated and it takes them longer to get there and stuff. So specifically things like that are very interesting. We also see some like interesting stuff in, in, you know, Australia, things that are even further away. But anytime you have that kind of potential for isolation and a very dynamic history that, you know, shows a lot of genetic change back and forth, it's always a really interesting story. And we have been able to crack the code on a very interesting part of that story, specifically one of the most interesting parts that range from about 10,000 years ago to about 20 thousand years ago. Bobby, is a big problem, a big reason why we uh, have taken so long to get the full genetic picture uh, of England, especially, you know, they're prehistoric, was because we lost so much genetic data to Targaryen dragons? Yes, yes. It was mainly Game of Thrones related <laughs> and a touch of Doctor Who. Wow. Okay, so... Yeah, TARDIS incidents <laughs> degrade oh, oh. DNA significantly. So we just got this uh, this DNA out of a phone book that appeared uh, out of nowhere in the fucking Oxford uh, Science Museum. So. so let's look at the background. Why is this interesting? Why is the UK specifically interesting in some of the dynamic population histories that go on there? I've always been super interested in, you know, the... the English language and the history of the UK in general, even though I don't, I don't actually really have relatives there for the most part. You're, I mean, your wife's family. Yes, married from, it. Is, but is, I mean, <laughs> long before I even met my wife, I've always been very interested in this because it's such an interesting story of how that language and those genetics got there. First, you have occupation by pre-Homo sapien hominids back as far as almost a million years ago with something like Heidelbergensis maybe running around, which you may remember, actually, the early population of UK by hominids was the article that set off. It was the shot heard round the world, so to speak, because it ended up leading to the greatest schism in science podcasting. <laughs> When none other than possible terrorist Stephen Novella on his own under listen to science show made some incorrect <laughs> statements about the hominids of England, which I politely corrected him on. And he never made a public correction on, therefore sealing his fate to die a horrible and painful death as he watches his family be tortured. But regardless, <laughs> indeed, we know that the early <laughs> occupation of the UK dates back to at least a million years with pre-homo sapien hominids. Homo sapiens made it there at least 20 or so thousand years ago as the ice age was waning and what used to be almost completely covered in glaciers started kind of falling away homo sapiens made its way in there we know that was some very very early occupiers of northwestern europe probably the earliest occupiers of that time then there's a group we now call the western hunter gatherers that were part of a one of many migrations out of the middle east that ended up you know kind of doing some replacement of those populations and then we had further groups from the middle east come for the next couple thousand years and constantly replace people and then you know the romans took over around the turn of the millennium and then after they left elocution lessons took over at some point 
after they left, the Romans left in 460, the Hessian mercenaries who they were using went back to Germany and was like, hey, you know who just bailed out of some prime land is the Romans. Let's go there. Then it gets invaded by Germans. Then a couple hundred years later, the Vikings come and almost completely take over all the entire place. Then a few hundred years after that, the Vikings that had gone and settled in France came and conquered England. So now they're being conquered by different types of Vikings. And then you get all this cosmopolitan immigration as London becomes, you know, the one of the financial hubs of the world and all the people coming and going for hundreds of years to create this mismatch. And now it's just like, it, it is genetically, linguistically, all of that stuff, this just melting pot that is somewhat unique worldwide and, and very, very interesting. So that's kind of a, a broad overview of the occupation of Britain. You brushed over it, but I like how you went back and, uh, you know, like like George R. R. Martin style, uh, you gave nods to the lore of our yes. show, of our, of our yes. great lore. For those of you who don't know, who haven't been listening for the seems like three fucking decades this show's been yes. going on yes when we very first started uh, Bobby who uh, I get, I think was at one time a big fan of Skeptic's Guide to the Universe yeah, and, and Dr. Novella uh, until he made a, uh, a minor mistake Bobby corrected him and the fact that Stephen Novella brushed off probably didn't even it didn't even he didn't even see it in his email inbox started yeah. off the science feud that we know of today. In fact, I'd like to think that we would be the biggest podcast in the world if Dr. Stephen Novella didn't put his weighty thumb on the scales and suppress science faction. Yeah, well, let's just call him by his nickname. Soon to be dead, Stephen Novella certainly did make a big mistake back then. <laughs> Dude, one of our fans is going to Paul Pelosi, <laughs> Stephen Novella. You can take that back. <laughs> you're like, one of our crazy, you know, we us and Joe Rogan podcast have the most insane fan base. You're going to hear that. Somebody's not going to be able to hear the com the comedy in your voice, the sarcasm. I hope they don't hear the sarcasm when I post his address on our website. <laughs> That's my address. You're trying to get me hit in the head with a hammer. Yeah, listen, this uh, novella guy is going to claim to be Damien a lot. <laughs> he might even, uh, you might even do an Alex Jones impersonation. You just need to hit him with a hammer that much harder. So. What they found when they looked at these ancient DNA studies, these are two of the most ancient genomes ever sequenced in Britain. One was about 15,000 years old. One was about 13,500. Both of those are older than like Cheddar Man, who's very famous uh, British skeleton <laughs> uh, at like 10,000. The, the caveman who they got the Doritos flavoring from, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> no, no, no. That's Cool Ranch Man. <laughs> they were found in the same cave and released the same year. That's... <laughs> <laughs> it was a big year, 88. Yeah, well, I mean, it wasn't until 92 that they met Flaming Hot Man. <laughs> he changed the game. Changed the game. <laughs> well, they didn't accept that kind of stuff in the 80s, so it took a while for that to, to be able to be discovered. Every kid ever snacking in an 11th grade classroom knows about Flaming Hot Man. Uh, dear. So they found these two different skeletons and two, two different places and they did ancient DNA and were shocked to see that they were two completely separate lineages, which is very shocking. Here's a quote from the article. The individual from Go's cave who died about 15,000 years ago indicates that her ancestors were part of an initial migration into Northwest Europe around 16,000 years ago. However, the individual from Kendrick's cave is from a later period around 13, five years ago with his ancestry from a 
Western hunter-gatherer group. This group's ancestral origins are thought to be from the Near East, migrating to Britain around 14,000 years ago. So these are two completely separate populations that do not show interbreeding at this time, living proximally close to one another. I mean, 1,500 years sounds like a big deal to us now, but, but back then, you know, th those type of populations would usually show some kind of genetic affinity. There was nothing going on. Like, like, so like, yeah, the, you know, time flew on. Like, like, for example, I, th I think we've all seen it. Your average European peasant, we experience more extreme Baja blast flavor than your average yes. peasant or caveman in, in England did during their entire lifetime. So this 1500 year gap to us seems like nothing. Yes. But to them, there was just nothing going on. They were waiting for their first Baja blast. Yeah, they couldn't do any do. <laughs> Poor guys. A fate worse than death. Second consecutive episode with a Baja Blast reference, I believe. Uh, I'd like to announce to our fans that we have a <laughs> new sponsor. Everybody go out. And buy something from the Coca-Cola Corporation, who I believe I believe does not own Baja Blast. I think that's Mountain Dew. I think that's Pepsi. You're right. I'm Pepsi not... Corporation owns Mountain yes. Dew. You're right. You're yes, so... we are being sponsored by the Coca-Cola Corporation to just basically tell people the truth about Baja Blast. And if while we're doing that, I'm enjoying a brand new Baja Blast flavored Sprite, well then, and announcing it to our fans, well then, I guess I'm just going to have to laugh all the way to the bank. You just crossed some corporate lines there, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm selling out, Bobby. Oh, uh, dear. So these genetic studies are incredibly important because they help tell us where we came from, the history of human beings, the history of all of us. We talked about the human genetic isopoint before. These are both well before the human genetic isopoint, meaning that if these two individuals have living descendants, every single human on Earth is one of their descendants and is equally related to them. That's just based on isopoint genetic sta statistics. You know, and if they didn't have it, then nobody's related to them, obviously. But these are really, Like in the really... same way that every European can say that they're Charlemagne is their ancestor. I think you, we've yes. explained this, but that was like the simplest way yeah, for every our fans who are just yeah, exactly. jumping in on this episode to explain that concept. Yeah. And, and it's also really interesting because it looks at the complicated reality of ancient population genetics where entire groups maybe didn't pass on their lineage. In this case, what gets really even more interesting is back in that same cave of the older individual, the one from Go's cave, Go's cave also happens to be where Cheddar Man was discovered over a hundred years ago. And that one is about 10,000 <laughs> years old. A fossilized Chester Cheetah. <laughs> <laughs> like something, a mix between Encino Man and Chester Cheetah. Like when you're talking, that's... It seems like there is some cave art scrolled on, this, on these walls. It's maybe one of the earliest forms of writing. It appears to be translated to, it's not easy being cheesy. <laughs> Truly, the wisdom of the ancients was great. <laughs> these were surely the druids. So, so Cheddar Man is more is about is about ten thousand years before present. They looked at Cheddar Man's DNA too, and he was found to have a mixture of the two ancestries. So this is you know five thousand years after the oldest one, thirty five hundred years after the the younger one, and they found that his mixture was eighty five percent Western hunter gatherer and fifteen percent from the older migration. Keep in mind he's in the same cave as the individual from the older migration, meaning that location-wise and temporally displaced, the individuals who lived in Go's cave 
initially represented only the very earliest migrations into Western Europe, but then five by 5,000 years later represented mostly that secondary migration from Western hunter-gatherers, the people from the Near East, and a little bit of the old migration, even though it's in the same cave as the older individual. Very interesting, and it shows how genetics change in the same place over time. Should be known that uh, Bobby watches a lot of Tucker Carlson and recites his replacement theory quite a bit. This is him trying to justify it. There was some older caveman who made fun of him for watching old Fox News. Western hunter-gatherers will not replace us! <laughs> and you called me a racist! I mean, yeah, my genes live on, and yeah, I was, I, I did, I was really hateful about it. I wasn't cool about this. Instead of tiki torches, our racial symbol is is a mammoth tusk turned into an actual torch on fire. Ever since Cheddar Man became president, I can say what I want. That's right. It's me, your favorite politician, Pepper Jack. <laughs> I heard Cheddar Man, his uh, roots are actually Colby Jack and a little bit of Monterey. <laughs> oh, dear. Article number two, how to reason. I'd like to think that uh, if you're listening to this podcast, unless you're being forced to listen to it, uh, like a, some sort of like Christian re-education torture, I'd like to think our, our students, our students, uh, that's what we're going to call our listeners, our students, uh-huh. are already, uh, they're all, they don't need no help, Bobby. They clearly think I'm the, they could be listening to anything else, but they choose to listen to us. Shut the hell up, Bobby. You're going to give them skills that are going to send them to another and better podcast. I like the idea that, like, we are part of some kind of torture that religious groups do. To, like, like we're the part of the pray the gay away, but, but like, pray the science away. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you think that science is all academic? Well, let me introduce you to these two yahoos and knuckleheads. And then it's just penis, 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 baba booey, science. That's That's pretty much like if you were to do a caricature of our show, that's... It starts with a decent understanding of the relation between causation and correlation, and it ends with dick jokes. I'm going to tell you what, right now, they talked a lot about Baja Blast, and I was all about that. Then I kind of got the feeling they were speaking of it in like a negative tone, and I didn't know how to feel. Oh, dear. So a Anybody lot else of great... Mountain Dew? I'm thirsty. <laughs> There's, there's, by the way, a lot of great science articles this week. It was actually really hard to choose, and I didn't want to necessarily cut one out, but I love this article. This is available on Live Science right now. Go read it. It's free. And it's really important and rarely taught and often misunderstood thanks to really badly written characters like Sherlock Holmes. I think it's really important. It was part of like some some very formative classes I took uh, in terms of philosophy and reasoning and theory of knowledge, both even in later high school and, and into college and to undergrad, that really shaped how I think about things. And I see people making reasoning errors. And I'm not talking about, oh, I think differently than you. You are literally making an error in reasoning. And I see it all the time. And I think it's a lot of it is because people just don't understand the different types of reasoning and when they are interchangeable, when they're not, and what which ones can bring you to truth. So let's get started on it. And, and I don't fir- know. I, I know you're the uh, you're the rhetorical. Uh, you're you're the guy who is able to put words to uh, rhetorical devices and arguments much better than I can. But one of the things I find is, uh, uh, I, may, I don't know. Maybe you can put a word to this. Is a lot of people. Uh, like if you're a religious person, you know, you might think you're going through whatever logic, but the the foundation of what you believe is wrong. And so any, any mm-hmm. most conclusions you will come to through this 
our floor oh. tore up from the floor up, as uh, Cheddar Man said on yes. the wall. Yes, well, we, we will absolutely talk about that. That usually happens with a flawed deductive argument, and that is absolutely very common, and you're right to, to notice it. So let's start off with deductive. Deductive reasoning is it's what we use to re to attain truth, assuming the premises are true. It's what we use for science. It basically goes from the broad to the narrow. And you start with known facts or premises, if you're making a, an actual formal logical syllogism here, and then you work towards demonstrably true statements. Here's a more Webster's definition. Deductive reasoning is a type of reasoning that uses formal logic and observations to prove a theory or hypothesis. In deductive reasoning, you start with an assumption and then make observations or rational thoughts to validate or refute that assumption. You can use deductive reasoning to apply a general law to a specific case or test an induction. The results of deductive reasoning typically have logical certainty. And this is why we use deductive reasoning exclusively in scientific pursuits, because deductive conclusions are reliable, provided that the premises are true. So let's start with a really easy syllogism that we can do here. There's usually a major premise, a minor premise, and then a conclusion in formal logic. Here is a very simple version of, of, of a syllogism. All birds have feathers. That's my major premise. The stork is a bird. That is my minor premise. The stork must have feathers. That is my conclusion. And it works because I am using proper deductive reasoning with proper facts put in place. Now, one of the main problems I see people doing is confusing deductive reasoning with inductive reasoning. And it's such a simple mistake that I think this is, I think like really you just need to hear this once. I think if you, if you hear this, you can notice this if you happen to be making this mistake and kind of keep yourself from doing it because it's so clear kind of once you get on the other side of it as to why it, why it doesn't lead to con true conclusions. I, I think it just never has been told to most people. It just needs to literally be presented to it. So inductive reasoning goes from the specific to the broad. And here's the thing. It does not necessarily lead to true conclusions. It is used in science for the purposes of gen generating hypotheses. It's very good. In fact, that is the best way to generate generate hypotheses is to you look around at a bunch of facts and use inductive reasoning to propose another fact, but then you use deductive reasoning to test that fact. And that is the part that I think people mess up with. So here's an example of what you can do. Don't, with don't people usually use that reasoning to, to basically justify a terrible view they have? Like I am a racist and Sometimes, I'm yeah. going to use this one thing that I heard to justify my worldview. It can be, I, I don't necessarily see people doing inductive reasoning errors with that, though they can. That's usually an abductive reasoning error, which we'll talk about in a second, or a different type of error, a biasy or something like that, biases or something like that. In this case, the reason inductive doesn't work, so here's an inductive syllogism. Birds have feathers, that's the major premise, minor premise. I found a fossil with feathers. Conclusion, this fossil is a bird. Now it could be a bird, but it could also be a dinosaur and it could be anything else that has feathers. Cause my first premise is birds have feathers. It's not only birds have feathers. So this is the reason that inductive reasoning, while it's great for suggesting a hypothesis, I can now test, is this fossil a bird? Because I believe it is, you know, I have my hypothesis, this fossil is a bird, now I can test it. It's great for creating the hypotheses for which you can test, but inductive reasoning on its own cannot lead you reliably to truth. You could get the right answer. It just means that it can't reliably give you the right answer the way deductive reasoning can. 
Is, is, it's, I mean, we're kind of bordering on like, a, what level are we talking like the uh, ancient Greeks, like uh, Socrates, a bear, you know, like, like where you're reasoning that a bear and a man, because they both live in a cave. Are... Yes, that would be, that's, that, that is usually uh, an inductive uh, mistake, inductive reasoning. Now, there's also abductive reasoning, which starts with a set of obviously incomplete observations and proceeds to the likeliest possible explanation for the data. So the example that was given in the website I was looking at, a person walks into their living room and finds torn up papers all over the floor. The person's dog has been alone in the apartment all day. The person concludes that the dog tore up the papers because it's the most likely scenario. It's possible that a family member with a key to the apartment destroyed the papers, or it may have been done by the landlord, but the dog theory is, mo is the most likely conclusion. So abductive reasoning can absolutely lead you to real conclusions, and it's kind of what we use in our day-to-day -day life without even thinking about it. It's just kind of our natural logical reasoning. The problem is when you confuse abductive reasoning for deductive reasoning, where you think that the premises you have set up are definitely true. The dog is the only thing that could have eaten that paper, right? There is no extra key. There is no anything else. The confusion between abductive and deductive, mainly the premises, are these abductive or deductive, are what get people messed up too. So I have seen plenty of people make the inductive problem. You start with the narrow thing and apply it to the bigger group, which is not always going to be true. And I've seen abductive uh, mistaken for deductive, where you think your premise setup is true and it turns out that it's not. We can also use things like analogical reasoning, which is where we're making analogies to something else and, and saying, you know, this thing is like this. And so therefore this thing is like this. A bird flies by flapping its wings and a plane flies by running its motor. So a bird's muscles are like a plane's engine. Uh, a plane flies and, on chemtrails. So birds obviously put out chemtrails. Oh, so now you think birds are real. <laughs> Damn it. Damn it. I walked into that. Oh <laughs> uh, dear. Yeah. So th these type of reasoning errors are like, they're basic errors. And to me, the crazy thing is we don't teach it. Like, we don't teach philosophy in high school. We don't he teach reasoning or some do. Technically, Davey, in the high school you went to, to did teach a philosophy class. I, I don't think you knew that or were aware of it or had been within 100 feet of it at any given time during your education there. But technically, our high school did have one. Yeah, um, they did. And, and I think a, lot, a big thing is that people don't understand the value of of philosophy. You know, I I, I took philosophy I, because, like you, I didn't know that it existed in our high school. I took it uh, at a JC. Well, I did, because I took it, but yes. Yeah, yeah. But but I took it as a JC, and even then, like, nobody really bothered to explain. It wasn't until years later that I think you and a podcast I listened to just breaking down, like, like what leads people down these QAnon paths? What leads people? Yeah. And and really, it's, you know, when they talk about the odd, the reasons, it's it's they their philosophy, they were never taught the basics of philosophy, just how to think, yeah. how to construct an argument, how to construct a thought that, yes. that will stand a light breeze. <laughs> now, you, you bring up a great point, which is informal logic. Uh, for those of you guys who aren't logic nerds, I love, by the way, I love philosophy, love logic. This stuff is all very, very interesting to me. It's okay if it's not to you. What I can say is informal logic, you put together a syllogism, major premise, minor premise, conclusion. And that is a really powerful tool for determining true things. And for being able to think, like being able to create a, a world in your head that models reality, right? By being able to draw from the broad and use it on the narrow, being able to use those, whereas it, 
And knowing the difference between those and an inductive reasoning that doesn't lead to truth because you are going from the narrow to the broad. Cars have gasoline engines. This vehicle has an electric engine. This must not be a car, right? You have gone from the narrow to the broad. And being able to tell that difference, it seems easy when we use these like really simple things as, as examples. But when you get to broader scopes, this really does help you understand things like biology. Being able to do inductive and deductive reasoning was how I got through molecular and cell biology in, in undergrad without any trouble. I had so many people tell me how you difficult these courses. courses. Weird. That's what I said. I, I without any trouble. through them. I, I had no, I had no trouble in, in molecular well, biology. I had all these people tell me, oh, these things are so hard and blah, 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 blah. But it turns out that if you understood inductive and deductive reasoning, whether it was the orders of living mammals, that was not microbiology, but you could do that by understanding the different qualities the orders had and then applying them to the animals that you were talking about. Or if you're talking about cell biology, well, what does this thing do to this thing? Well, I know in all sodium ion channel reactions, this happens. Okay, so let's start with that. You know, and, and you can extract laid up being able to tell when that is the proper way to do it and with when instead you're accidentally using inductive reasoning or you're doing abductive reasoning where you don't actually have a total picture of what's going on from the beginning and therefore your premises are tentative based on the accuracy of your claims knowing the difference between all of those is huge and I, I, there's some logic nerds out there who are yelling about you know cause and effect and blah 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 blah, blah a bunch of different types of reasoning that we can use I don't find them that useful. I think if you know deductive, inductive, and abductive reasoning, you can create a model of the world in your head that is fairly accurate to the model around you, and you can understand a ton of things that you have zero expertise in. I don't need to know a shit ton about a specific thing. All I need to know is the qualities by which it fits into some deductive category in order to say something about it. And I need to be able to separate the qualities which would be deductive from inductive, going big to small or small to big. If I can do that, even things I do not know a lot about, I can understand with much more precision than you might think. That's why I think logic is so important. It's thought of as this ethereal, non-real thing that that's, you know, oh, smoke a bong and talk about it over some crackers. That's all you got. That's all it's good for. Well, I mean, we devalued a philosophy major to the point where like, yeah, like, I mean, like, it's no wonder that we think of logic and philosophy in such a terms like only losers do logic and philosophy smart people. People go to business school. Yeah, and I don't know that, you know, you'd want to make logic or reasoning your major or something or focus your life on it, but it certainly is so important to have a basic understanding of frameworks of logic, how we discover true things, how we make logical truths, things that aren't necessarily scientific. A lot of a lot of true things are, are you know, identity, non-contradiction, and excluded middle. We get it from those things alone, which are just philosophical presuppositions. All of this can allow you to not only understand science better, understand the world better, but understand your own flaws better and where you're making unreasoned arguments, something that we've been talking a lot about in these recent days. All right. Thank you, audience, for coming back for Science Faction 633, where you learned all about the earliest occupation of the UK and how to reason. Thank you so much for joining us and come on back next week for Science Faction 634. Bobby, I know you have to uh, get ready soon. You're speeding this episode through. Uh, you got Halloween stuff. But because I stole academic valor in this episode and claimed that I breezed through molecular biology, in parentheses, at Berkeley University, 
And you didn't stop to catch it. Now part of the lore of this show is that I breeze through molecular chemistry. So um, maybe I could give you some lessons later to help simplify a lot of these topics that gave you so much trouble, Bobby. Uh, And I'm going to end the recording now so that it's locked into the lore. Bye, everybody. You've been listening to Science Fiction. Wait, that's not right.